and the guy just like mm. puts his phone up and goes through the order process and the sandwiches are all monstrosities like they're all um different versions of bread different random things he sco- gets in there no gloves just like scooping scooping out the dough with his hands to make a nice little pocket for the meat and cheese that he throws in there and then he'll just wow. like he'll throw like two pounds of salami onto a sandwich and the the cuts of salami are like a quarter inch thick. Like they're not even reasonable Jesus. for sandwiches. Uh, and then I'll just take like two giant things of like buffalo mozzarella that he pulls out of the sink behind him that you can just tell is just like in a sink full of all these little perfect balls of fresh cheese and uh, just slices the whole thing up and puts it on the sandwich. Uh, and they like slaps it up and gives it to the person, and like you can just hear the other person being like, "Oh, oh, oh, oh grazie, grazie mille." And it's like, yeah, this is amazing. I love this so much. Uh, it's uh, it's astounding how compelling this content is. Like I, I like any sort yeah. of like food creation stuff. Like I uh, literally like two hours ago, I was just flipping through YouTube and I jumped into like you know the fifty seventh video that I've watched this year on just how to make the most basic omelet. And, uh, and I just love like the, you know, how ridiculous the nuance can get with this stuff. But the one that I put on today, was just like, it was like a little too much. Like it was like, basically it was like step one, like, you know, this is how to raise your hen. Yeah. "Eh, All right. All right. This is, this is getting a little, little That's, too deep for me this is this is too much it's it is it is absolutely incredible the the stuff that is available uh for like for food creation and some of it is very normal and some of it is like a little bit bombastic just to get people's attention or their reaction but i mean mm-hmm. it's i'd say when i when i i was like you know what I'm just going to YouTube how to scramble eggs. And then like, I realized that I've been making like the worst version of scrambled eggs. And I, I also had the realization in that moment. I was like, I'm comfortable eating the worst version of scrambled eggs for the rest of my life. Cause I am not making a cream fraiche to throw into every scrambled yeah, no. egg. Oh, God, no, absolutely not. Ridiculous. No, no, no. I, I don't, I mean, you have kids, so I can't, I can't imagine them just being like, ah, and you're being like, hold on, I have to perfectly make cream fresh from scratch before I can even put it into the eggs that are cooking in a pot, not even a pan. Is not, yeah, it's not not reasonable. I mean, don't get me wrong, like my like my scrambled eggs are way better than any child deserves, but uh, you know, for sure. Mo- I feel like most scrambled eggs that have more than just. Uh, it's eggs and I I had some skim milk and I threw in there. Like if it's better mm-hmm. than that, then it's a it's a better version than than most kids deserve. Because <laughs> they're right, really well, actually now now hearing that mine just <laughs> might basically be that. So maybe it's not so maybe it's not as special as I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I took from that scrambled egg recipe that I did not t- like that I will not do. Uh, the the like I won't do the full version is I'm like oh yeah I guess I just shouldn't put salt on the eggs until they're out of the pan that's like the one thing that I've taken from mm-hmm. cooking is people are like don't put salt in your stuff unless you're actually making like a stew 
then you can salt it. But if you're just making something in a pan, don't throw salt in there. It ruins everything. I don't uh, I don't I don't use salt at all. I use as a catch-all for flavor. I just throw a bunch of Frank's Red Hot in Ooh. before it goes into the pan. And it's amazing because the kids can't handle spicy stuff, but it like it doesn't come out even remotely spicy. It just is like yeah. just adds a little vinegary, you know, salty goodness into the mix. Oh, why we're, this is not a cooking podcast but we're talking about cooking stuff uh i have some buttermilk chicken like chicken marinating in buttermilk in my fridge right now that's been in there oh. for now 23 hours so i'm gonna be making, oh my god yeah i'm gonna be making some some fried chicken for myself uh at some point i've had a i've had a day of food i'm having a day i don't i don't know why but i am uh, it's Sunday, bring it on! It's it's Sunday. There was no race today, so I'm like, I mean, I guess I'll mm-hmm. be a wizard in the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and stra- strangely, en- strangely enough, sorry, just because yeah, we're, yeah, we're on good. such parallel paths here today. Uh, Gloria brought home a, a you know a bushel potted you know basil plant and oh. whipped up fresh uh, fresh basil basil pesto. Uh, I am. It was I am, glorious. I'm, going to the grocery store tonight and instead of getting fresh basil i am going to be getting a little like basil plant that i can put out on my balcony because now i am that person who's just like i'm not gonna get i'm just gonna have a basil plant i can grow it easily Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's so cheap yeah well let's get into our podcast about cooking john um Mm -hmm. yep (laughs) very incredibly high performance (laughs) Perfectly yes. engineered with some of those, some of the most vibrant global personalities mm-hmm. involved. Uh, 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 s- Sorry, uh, for- s- Formula One racing. Formula One racing. <laughs> Welcome to the F1 Files, folks. This is our podcast about Formula One and this week cooking uh, in the United States of America here. Uh, I am one of the hosts. My name is Corey Willis. I am an actor, improviser, writer out here in Los Angeles, California. What's up? This is Chef John Lepore. I'm a creative leader and father and Formula One junkie here on the East Coast, holding it down. Nice. So yeah, we had no race this week. We had no race, so we filled our Sundays with cooking. Uh, I feel like we were still very European. You had your your wife bringing back a a, a fresh uh, a fresh literal plant. It was, it was extra European because uh, we've been rewatching The Sopranos and like. The episode that we watched last uh, was the one where where they go to Italy, and oh. uh, everybody tells them that they're classless pieces of garbage, and uh, <laughs> and being New Jerseyans ourselves, uh, it was you know it was an opportunity for us to just try and you know level ourselves up on our on our Friday. Uh, yeah. You're literally a couple of Italians from New Jersey watching The Sopranos, uh, and yep. <laughs> Uh, making like uh making the good uh making making the good sauce uh um, you ever heard this song before it's by this guy named andrea bocelli it's amazing it's he's, he's never brilliant. gonna believe it 
Yeah, just it just uh, it works so perfectly for this emotion filled uh, Sunday afternoon for some reason. Um, oh my god! So yeah, we had no, we had no race this week, but there was some news. There was some stuff that did happen in Formula One. Uh, there were more not I I don't want to call it fallout, but just more explanations of what happened uh, at the Red Bull ring with uh with carlos's engine uh how how that ended up going uh there was a little bit of uh analysis about that ferrari's been pretty quiet about it but there was uh craig scarborough scarbs um he he does some great analysis videos and he basically was like oh these are the different versions of engine failure and it looks as though this was a turbo uh that had blown up in uh in carlos's car so that sucks, uh, but chances are he's not going to need an entirely new power unit, which is very good for Ferrari because they are going to be facing penalties down the road towards the end of the season because they keep having these mechanical failures and these DNFs caused by their engine failures and their gearbox failures. So not gearbox failures. They've been pretty okay with their transmissions, but the power units, they're going to have to start taking grid place penalties. Uh, and it's solid that Maybe they just have to replace the turbo and some of the the connective bits around it instead of replacing the entire power unit with Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll that'll be nice. Uh, and then also they did kind of come out with like we are going to be we know exactly what we're going to do with porpoising and uh, these these floor uh, technical directives that are going to come into effect. Uh, at uh, at the Belgian Grand Prix, they they are going to be measuring things a little bit more stiffly, even though Red Bull and Ferrari push back. They were like, hey, look, this is a safety concern. Y'all said it was a safety concern. So it has to, you know, that's the only reason for a midseason rule change is if it applies to safety. So that's why you don't see many rule changes taking place uh, outside of these technical directives race by race. And uh, it's this is the first time in a very long time that they've changed rules in the middle of the season. Um, first time I can remember in, in, in since I've been paying attention. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like there's always a little bit of updates or tweaking or amendments to the formula, usually just around how some of the teams are cheating the, the rules or basically yeah. using incredibly creative interpretations of mm-hmm. the you know, the, the rule book and so much of it comes down to that, right? Like so much of it is not just like, can you engineer the best solution, but there's a bunch of rules keeping you away from certain ideal solutions. Can you create something that is designed within a defendable, you know, uh, alignment with those rules yeah. that maybe is still violating the spirit of those rules. And there's a whole lot of that, that, that goes on. Yeah. Um, and every team you know, does this double, yeah. Double diffusers and F ducks and all sorts of crazy, uh, crazy shenanigans. Exactly. I mean, that there's the, the biggest, most recent one is the Ferrari fuel controversy where they had created this, uh, deliberate bleed in their fuel system where oil and fuel were mixing to create uh, a, a better fuel mixture and a more um, a, a more powerful fuel mixture and once that was reined in Ferrari's pace dropped off so 
but that wasn't a that wasn't a, an actual rule change. That was some weird super secret agreement between Ferrari and the FIA. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever that we'll never know what that is because that was that sealed, and only Ferrari knows what that was. I, I feel like mm-hmm. the FIA, even at this point with its new leadership, doesn't even understand what like what was worked out. I can't imagine that that that's been shared just because like it is such like Ferrari is is Formula One for as much as people are like, no, 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 they're not. They're one of the teams. It's like, no, no, Ferrari is Formula One. They are. They would not exist without Ferrari. So they're not mm-hmm. going to penalize one of they're not going to penalize the team that makes it so the sport exists, uh, which is gross and terrible. But it's the, the reality of things. It's the reality of the rules. Uh, and the reality of the sport that we're in, I mean, I feel like there's like, especially for newer fans, people are like, what there should be, everything should be fair. It's like, no, that's not how this, this sport was not like ever designed to be fair. It was from Mm -hmm. the outset. It was designed to be exclusive, uh, to like a ridiculous degree. And the simple fact that, and as, as, as someone who is absolutely a target of the marginalization uh, of the sport. Like they are under no obligation to make this uh, a sport, a sport that is like equal Um, or, or like that's never been the stated intention. And that's why there's so much resistance. Like in the modern era, most of us as fans are like, well, no, you want to be good. You want to be seen as good in the eyes of the world. Right. And no, the FIA has never cared about that. And I don't think they ever will. And that goes for all the way from like, re, you know, we race as one as just being kind of a statement uh, and not like any action backing it up. Um, that's kind of the problem, right? So they can do that or they can just decide not to like apply the rules totally to someone uh, when they find out that they've been cheating. So, yeah, so it's 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 an interesting uh, it's an interesting dynamic with the way that the sport is run so mm-hmm. but um yeah yeah what else did you did you pick up on this past week so uh a few things um mm-hmm. on a on a somber note uh today is the i believe it's the seventh uh yeah. anniversary of the passing of jules bianchi who is mm-hmm. uh basically the the last fatality to happen as a result of an incident during a, a formula one grand prix yeah. and also was the the first fatality to happen since uh ayrton senna back in yeah. uh, in 94 yeah um so i believe it's you know, the first on like uh, like you 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 were specific about it being a grand prix related incident i believe that there was maybe even the same year there was the Mercedes test driver, um, uh, the woman who also. Oh it, yes, it was yeah. it was another shunt that involved uh, a car that was not protected by the halo, and she yep. had severe head trauma, uh, and I think she also ended up passing away. Um, but yep. that was that was not at the Grand Prix. That's not to say like it doesn't count as much because it definitely does, but it's just like. Well, I, I think even yeah. I think I think even Jules Bianchi's passing 
didn't hit Formula One as mm-hmm. hard as a as a on track fatality because he he technically survived but basically was in a coma. He yeah. was in a coma for uh, several months for before months. ultimately for before ultimately passing, and I think that sort of uh, dampened the yeah. I guess the the scope and and scale of the of the tragedy as as you know not to say that anybody underappreciated it or or whatnot um but yeah it's uh it, and it's something that is i think instrumental in leading to the creation of the halo yeah. device um and also is something that i think is also uh you know we've seen a lot more caution being taken under extremely wet conditions i think as a result that it was not uncommon that if we had you know an absolute downpour they would still have the cars out running and racing and Mm -hmm. and whatnot um and i think we've seen a a a bit more caution around that as well as just like a little extra caution around like any time that there's any sort of cleanup or car removal happening Yes. Anywhere in the vicinity of the track. And it used to be that like, all right, if the crane can get the car, the moment the car's up in the air, you know, we're pulling the safety car in. Or even mm-hmm. if the crane can get to the car in a place that doesn't seem super exposed, we'll just do a yellow flag on that corner and not even bring out the safety car. And so I think that's that's something that that very much uh, you know, impacted uh, a lot of you know safety and and procedure in general yeah. in in Formula One, which is I think always a good thing, and I think Formula One has always been very proud of the fact that, especially in the time following Senna's passing, that you know it was uh, effectively you know twenty years without a fatality in the sport, which. Yeah. Uh, is I think looking back at the more distant history of the sport, a pretty remarkable is thing. But, wild. I mean, truly yeah. wild. We we are we are so fortunate to have existed uh, and kind of come of age as fans in this sport when there weren't drivers dying every single weekend. Uh, we I mean as yeah. as kids, Senna. We you know we we lost Senna, but I I wasn't a fan. Uh, and in any real way at that point, I mean, I knew about the sport, but it wasn't something that I was like focused on in any way. Uh, so it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have impacted me and it didn't impact me really as much. Um, but yeah, it's, it's also nice that, I mean, it, it's not nice. It is fortunate that formula one kind of blew up as much as it did after, uh, Jules passing, um, because if there was more focus on the sport, I think this would be seen as like a much more tragic incident, um, mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Uh, but you're right, though. It is that. So just a, a brief breakdown of what that what that was. And correct me if I'm wrong on any of these uh, facts. But I believe that there was a car that was involved in. Uh, just an incident that they just went off track at the Japanese Grand Prix, uh, and it was um, right. Like, was it an accident or was so, it someone who just left the track? Uh, it was. It was someone went off track. It was, I mm-hmm. think, Adrian Sutil. Uh, really strong rainstorm uh, conditions that were coming in, and the race had actually already been, I think, 
delayed or red flagged a couple times and yeah. it was getting it was starting to get dark and the oh, rain came in was. super hard clouds came in and it was just really dark out a lot of limited visibility and uh as let's see uh, i i want to say they uh you know, they were just coming out from under safety car. And so Adrian Sutil had a, a crane, basically a construction vehicle. Yeah. Uh, pulling his car off of the track or, or off of, you know, out of the barriers and Jules Bianchi went off and actually struck the construction like slid vehicle underneath itself. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was like yeah. the, these cranes that they have are, they're not like track vehicles. They're on tires, but they're on these construction tires that are very tall that basically lip boost the height of the actual equipment itself, uh, to a very unfortunate, perfect, like a perfectly lethal level, uh, for an F1 car, uh, especially when there was nothing stopping it. And I, th- I don't think that he went off. I don't think he went off at a ridiculous rate because again, it was still, it was wet conditions. It wasn't, it was, it was not like they were not racing full on. Um, but he ended up sliding like literally perfectly just unobstructed. And the first thing that made contact with that crane was Jules helmet. And he was, I think he was, maybe it was like he was, they were doing like 80 or 90 or something like that. And he'd slowed down to like 50 or 60 miles an hour, but still there's a crash helmet is not going to stop that. And yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, the, the cars are, you know, we see miraculous, um, you know, crashes like Zhou Guan Yu's Mm -hmm. very recently at Silverstone and it, and it can still go through these insanely dramatic and intense crashes because both the vehicle is very safe and has incredible, you know, structural safety cells built into it and whatnot. But the barriers that surround the track, the fencing, the tire walls, everything is very carefully designed exactly. for the impact with these vehicles. And that was not what Jules Bianchi hit. He hit yeah. a construction vehicle. And, yeah. uh, that was not moving, so, was not uh, giving. Yeah. Yeah. So very, very tragic. Uh, you know, if you if you still see today, there are still, some, uh, you know, several drivers that carry, um, I believe it's JB-17 17. Yep. That's, uh, insignias yeah. on, on their helmets, uh, on their cars and, and whatnot as as a as a remembrance for uh, for Jules Bianchi. So, you know, uh, sad, sad stuff. But again, you know, I think it's always important to reflect on the gravity of what these what these drivers are getting into and the sort of things that they're up against every every time they're out there in these cars also there's there's something that like that has i think only existed in the modern age and in in concert with the the lack of fatalities the lack of deaths the lack of severe injuries and also these young driver schools um because you've got uh one of the reasons why Jules is still so present in everyone's mind is because he was best friends and grew up with carding, uh, and literally was like roommates with Charles Leclerc. Uh, they were best friends, like best of best buds. And that's something that Charles like still, he would, and I, I love that he won't let Jules 
memory fade in any way. Like any chance he gets, he'll talk about it and talk about how important he was and how it was the only reason he's as good as he is today is because he was pushed by Jules so hard when they were coming up together. So it's this like beautiful mm-hmm. way of like paying homage to, you know, uh, uh, someone who lost their life doing what they, what they love. And like, that is that, that happened. Um, you know, that happened, uh, unfortunately with, uh, Antoine Hubert, who was, uh, a formula two driver, uh, there was an awful accident that happened, um, and he and Pierre Gasly were best friends and former roommates and former karting mates. So there are these things, when these tragedies happen, it is no longer happening in isolation like it happened when we were younger, like it happened before we were born, when it was, you know, these drivers were these islands. They were these people who only existed and had their teams and had their own, had their friends, had their significant others. That's it. They did not have their best friends. They did not have this history of like being like fierce competitors and loving the fierceness of the, you know, the competition and besting their best friend and having these like beautiful rivalries that really mean something more than just like, you're someone I want to beat. Like, it's like, you're someone I want to beat, but I'll celebrate when you beat me. Uh, So it's, it is, it's a tragedy uh, for those reasons, because like these deaths aren't happening as often but it feels like when they are happening the entire paddock is affected in a way that it just wasn't i just never saw before um maybe that's because of the limited access we had to these drivers and kind of the behind the scenes stuff uh but i think it also has to do with like just the way that drivers have evolved the way they come up through the the lower series the the junior series uh yeah. So, you know, you were mentioning that that connection between um between Jules and and Charles Leclerc uh just uh, you know, just typing into, you know, Twitter JB17 and it's mm-hmm. just tons and tons of stories and old photos of like what appears to be like a mid-pubescent Charles Leclerc uh, with, yeah. with Jules Bianchi, but, uh, you know, some, some really beautiful and, and touching stuff as, yeah. as well, including, um, you know, Charles was saying that in 2010, his, uh, his family had basically run out of, uh, out of money to keep mm-hmm. him in carding. And he it's was him basically, and his younger brother both are car- So yeah. And the, the Leclerc's are not, yeah, they've got a house in Monaco, but like, it doesn't mean <laughs> you have F1 money. <laughs> like that's yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they, they were, they were basically bracing for like, all right, this is going to be our, our last, uh, our last year. And it was Jules that went to, uh, Nicholas Todd, who was, uh, at Ferrari at the time who basically set it up that, uh, Charles would kind of be in that sort of like driver development pipeline and get all That's the funding wild. that he needed until he until he made it to F1. And Charles just says, you know, without Jules, I would yeah. be nowhere. Yeah, so, like, like uh, spiritually, emotionally, and quite literally, like financially. And it's not that Jules was this wise old mage who was shepherding Charles. Like they're they grew up together. They were, yep. uh, I mean, I think Jules, uh, was, um, 
a couple of years older than Charles, maybe, uh, or like a year old. Like it, it's not a big gap in in their age difference. So the fact that someone at that age had the presence of mind to be like, I'm going to lay everything my reputation on the line for someone else. Uh, that's again, it's something that you just <laughs> can you imagine going back 40 years and thinking about like, oh yeah, I wonder if uh, <laughs> I, I wonder um, I wonder if like Mika Hakkinen would have been cool with like, <laughs> like no, I mean there's literally no even like the nicest of uh, champions from that era. I'd even say like Jensen Button would be like, no, I would never put my neck on the line for my teammate like that, mm-hmm. especially not at the lower series before we even make it in. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing to be able to not just look at uh, look at his life as like a tragic misfortune, but also to look at it as like Charles Leclerc is standing on the shoulder of a giant and that giant is Jules Bianchi. Like there's an, it's you cannot dispute that. Mm-hmm. Um yep. just as much if not more so than like his own family. Jules supported him. So it's so yep. cool. It's so cool. Well, so uh all right, elsewhere in Formula 1 this week, yeah. um there was a there was a a surprisingly I found it surprisingly thorough uh, article in the New York Times, yeah. almost sort of like uh, seemingly out of the blue. Uh, I think it appeared online Thursday, but I think it was also kind of bundled into the Sunday paper. But I can't say for sure because I haven't actually seen a physical newspaper in in you know seven or eight years. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think it was actually part of. Uh, maybe the like the the New York Times magazine that gets rolled into the Sunday paper. Yeah, uh, that sounds about very, right. Very lengthy article about Formula One and the the uh, well, the title of the article is just "Drive to Survive: Made Americans Fall in Love with Formula One." Uh, the Netflix show sold the European sport to a U.S. audience. But will the romance last after the series is gone? Uh, this is written by Bruce Schoenfeld, and basically was like a deep dive into like what's going on with with this sport, told a little bit through the lens of the writer attending the Miami Grand Prix, and you know connecting all the dots between the Netflix series and the the tremendous success and yeah it's it it just seemed sort of interesting it to me just seemed like another uh very major outlet putting together a piece that was basically just saying like hey if this thing isn't on your radar yet this like should it needs to be yeah yeah uh, yeah and it, it it kind of does this great job of going back and to to the two of us are fans of this sport it's made the most sense for us like as fans to be like yeah of course it's like the obvious choice why haven't they been they should have been looking at this kind of option for such a long time and listening uh like listening to the way that formula one basically and we like we knew this as as fans we knew Mm. during the bernie era like he made it so hard for everyone to access this sport and we were just talking about it this sport has never felt the need to make itself accessible to people who are not 
motoring enthusiasts, high class motoring enthusiasts. But to a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of nerds from upstate New York, like we're like, no, this is I. Yeah, this is ideal. <laughs> this, is, this is perfect. <laughs> Why aren't more people into this? Uh, and it's because they didn't have the access. They, they didn't have um, any way to find this sport relatable, find this sport like enticing. But we along the way have been like, no, it's obvious. Like we should just be looking at this. Uh, I mean, it's reality TV. Reality TV has been mm-hmm. huge for 20 years. The fact that it took 20 years for them to actually come up with the idea that, hey, maybe we should do a reality TV show about F1. It's wild to me that it took so long for them to do that. Uh, but then this article outlines. I mean, it. A lot yeah, of, the, yeah, the article, I, I think, did a pretty good job of also kind of uh, breaking down some of the key ingredients to the success yeah. of the series or just why it's so compelling. Right. And yeah, one of the things worth focusing in on is a lot of other sports documentaries have tremendous buy-in or are only made possible through, you know, the teams or individual athletes themselves providing permission, but uh, pretty much always with some sort of, but we get to see the edit and kill anything that makes us look like we're, yeah, that makes us look like we're squabbling, that makes us, you know, that shows us in our darkest moments, that doesn't pain us as, you know, being successful and that, Drive to Survive was able to, uh, you know, exist without that sign off, without that, and and basically show a lot more of the like grit and and detail, um, you know, some yeah. of the some of the dirtier parts of it, um, you know, which that which combined great. with, yeah, yeah, oh, it's it's, I mean, it's by far the best, uh, the best aspect of it, and I think for me especially, like uh, seeing that unfold you know, uh, while being just a few years out from the Bernie era, it was like remarkable just seeing that kind yes. of level of insight. Oh, um, so, it, was, it was so nice. <laughs> so, you know, it was funny to me reading this article because it was describing also this idea of like people, you know, who had never heard of the sport before just discovering it and getting into it. And like, n- no joke, I think it was either Thursday or Friday, I was catching up with a former colleague of mine, uh, Russ. He's a brilliant creative director. You may have met him once or twice uh, years back, Corey. Uh, Mm -hmm. He, uh, I hadn't talked to him in years. And just as we were kind of catching up on on things and, and wrapping up our discussion, he was like, oh, by the way, Johnny. I'm obsessed with Formula One now. I was like, oh, shit, really? Tell me, tell me about this. Yeah, let's And he explained to me, he explained to me that he and his wife, you know, uh, the big, you know, early 2020 just got hooked on drive to survive and have watched every single race ever since. And they're, you know, queued up poised to get their Vegas tickets They're You know, they watch every practice qualifying and race session. They are like, they're totally obsessed. They're like, volunteering in local grassroots motorsports like they're, yeah they're doing you know they're like they're just deep into this and i thought that was that was really interesting to to hear because i hadn't heard from anybody that i was like really really tight with also yeah you know, like kind of this breaking. is someone who knows you and knew that like like this is yeah. very much what you were 
like focused on and obsessed with for years. I mean, yeah, probably yeah. his his entire time knowing you, you have probably been talking about this uh, and being yep. like, "Hey, you guys got to check this out. Hey, you should check this out." So the fact that like he now the catch up is not like, "Hey, so I checked out that thing." It's, "Hey, so I'm now volunteering." at like my local autocross track <laughs> it's like wait you're going to parking lots and just setting up cones and putting on vests and d- holding a clipboard like what what how how did we get here and i think it is that thing of we whatever netflix drive to survive did uh I, I, and this is probably an insensitive way of looking at this, but it's like that whole idea of, uh, I fear we have woken up a sleeping giant. <laughs> um, like mm-hmm. all of a sudden the lens of, uh, the consumer culture in this country is now hyper focused on, Hey, what's this over here that will make us feel connected. will give us a sense of community. will also, allow us to choose sides will allow us to like compartmentalize our aggressive fandom, but also will allow me to still be a fan of the sport itself. Like this is baseball type stuff. This is, I mean, the way that people are now obsessed with F1 in this country, as someone who grew up in the baseball culture and community with my brother being so focused and involved in it, like there's a, a very, direct parallel between people being like, Oh, I just love a good baseball game. I don't care who's I don't, I'll just, if I can go to a game and hang out with my friends, drink a couple of beers, shoot the shit. It's perfect. It's like, Hey, that's kind of what people are doing and looking at like an F1 race as is like, I'll go, I don't care. I'll go to a practice session. I'll go to practice session one, right? Like this is, these are the things that F1 was pulling their hair out trying to figure out mm-hmm. how do we engage fans on these free practice sessions on these even qualifying like everyone <laughs> almost every race uh you'd hear the announcers be like yeah i mean it's great the race is great but really it's all about go fast day and that's been a cultural thing in f1 is like yeah qualifying saturday that's go fast day that's when you show up that's when the real fans show up and now there are people who've never been involved with the sport who are not missing free practice one who aren't missing like the drivers press conferences uh, when they like roll through like that is, that is a level of intensity and a fandom that I don't think is going to pitter out that. And that's, that was kind of the tone of the article too, was, is this sustainable? Will, will, when this eventual, when the, when the wave crashes against the shore and drive to survive is not renewed for a season, whatever, Will these fans stick around and watch the races? And I emphatically will say yes. Yeah, I I was a little surprised by it. It did seem like uh, it it seemed like Schoenfeld's thesis of the piece was like, well, if they're if drive to survive goes away or or, you know, just flickers out as all series do, is anyone going to? keep watching and like yeah of course they will like it's all like to me drive to survive it's not the required piece of the formula one experience it was the entry point it It was was the the introduction 
It's like the yeah. idea is and it's it, it's a catalyst when there's a chemical reaction. I'm not a, a a chemist. I'm not a science guy here, but I do pay attention to TED talks, and I know that a catalyst is the thing that starts the reaction. It's not necessary for the entire reaction to. It's now the chemical reaction has already happened, and people have now gone like. I'm interested. All right. I can go back and watch Gunther Steiner in his interviews in season mm-hmm. two and three and feel that same rush of like, oh, I love this guy. I got to see more of him. I can't wait to hear him talk to the guys in the commentator's box. Right. Like people are going to show up no, no matter no matter what at this point. The uh, yeah. And and I mean, I, I was kind of bummed that like the way he closed out the article was I'm just pulling it up. Um, it, it was really basically is, him. It, yeah. He basically was just stating like, so I was here at the Miami Grand Prix and I watched the race and I saw who won and I saw who didn't win and I saw who drove well, but I feel like I won't really know what happened until, you know, season five of Drive to Survive comes out. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of a a, a little bit of like a numb response or just like uh you know and and i think i i'm pretty confident that most fans who are at least moderately fascinated by the sport and Mm -hmm. are following it you know uh following the majority of the races every season once they've been into it for a year or so can i think pick apart a lot of the key narratives and a lot of what's going on and it's you know to me it's drive to survive is just sort of like amplifying that um, so yeah, Agreed. it's, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm forever thankful for it. I think it's, I think it's yeah. great. Um, and, I think you know, it, it I'm has, excited to it see. has also, what's that? What's that? No, please go, go right ahead. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, I mean, I think that there is a toxic culture that comes from the casual fandom. That's that, that as someone who is also a fan of the New York Yankees, uh, I very rarely will wear any Yankees apparel because I don't want to engage the casual fan. I just don't. Uh, you People who see, especially at, living in LA, if I'm wearing a Yankees hat and they hear me talk, they're like, oh, what? You're, are you from? Like, what? Oh, talk. And I'm like, I don't, let's not do this. Uh, I don't want to talk about like. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want, I, I, we don't need to be these casual fans who don't really have anything useful to say. Um, so it, there is a, a danger of courting those fans, but I think that even when those fans leave, even when those fans don't go to every single race, which they're not going to anyways, it's physically impossible for them. Uh, so like, it's okay if a couple million people stop being fans because they never would have been able to go to a race anyways, uh, uh, for a plethora of reasons. Um, uh, so I'm not too worried about losing fans, uh, who aren't the, like the glue that hold this community together. Uh, I think that the, like seeing, going to races, seeing that there are young children, uh, seeing that there are, uh, black and brown children seeing that there are uh women seeing and not just like a woman who's there with her husband and is wearing like an aston martin hat and then you look at her husband and he's like kitted out in the whole gear and you're like oh i'm sorry you Mm -hmm. dragged you here like there are women who are like i'm a fan i study the sport and i am i have i am unapologetic about it i am not quiet about it anymore i'm like that's awesome and i think that that is something that you 
even if all those casual fans leave, the ones who really care are going to stick around. And now that it's not now that it's not so gross uh, to be an F1 fan uh, in this country, I think it like I think it's that we're not going to lose we're not going to lose the the fan base. Uh and people will care. People Yeah, are, yeah I don't I don't I I I think it's a, you know, it's an awesome entryway, but it's it's building up so much momentum now mm-hmm. from here and I think it'll I think we'll see it continue to increase. I think it's also the best possible time for there to yeah. be this great entryway into the sport because I think we've had particularly the last, you know, this season and certainly last season, some amazing racing, some incredible, yeah. exciting uh, action happening weekend after weekend. And it's, you know, there's no better time than now to be a yeah. Formula One fan. And I'm, I'm glad to see the the numbers going up. Um, as a as a side note, uh, s- another story surfaced mm-hmm. this week that uh, Disney Plus is, I think, following in the jet stream of the the Drive to Survive uh, success story, and they're working with Keanu Reeves on putting together a documentary about Ross Braun and. I think particularly, I'm not sure, but it sounds like it's going to be focused on his time uh, building up uh, Braun GP, basically this, 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 you know, taking over the Honda team and then having this miraculous success, this like devastating dominance uh, for, for one season of racing before Braun GP then morphed into the Mercedes team that we yeah. have today. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I love that people are like Mercedes just showed up and like had this pre-built thing with Braun. And it's like, do you, Braun was not a pre-built thing. <laughs> Braun, like Braun, that is it true. Russ Braun, like really bootstrapped his way into like demolishing the field and the, and was like, Hey, I'll, does anybody want some of this? And Mercedes was like, "Yes, we do. Absolutely. We w- we would love we would love to come in and build on this. Like you're you're off to a good start, bud. Uh, but that's what it was. It was a start. That that season was the start of something good. And much like uh, Drive to Survive and uh, how the pandemic lined up and everything just kind of lined up for Drive to Survive, everything kind of lined up for Braun." Uh, GP that season like they were just lucky enough to have the best drivers uh, to ha- not even the best drop but like to have just a-, a wild sequence of events that perfectly fell into place and put them in contention for a world title like yeah and I mean I you thinking, know Ross brought yeah Ross Braun uh himself was is a is a legend and I mean you yeah. you look at his career I mean he was he was the key piece of the Ferrari team uh yeah. during the Michael Schumacher years um you know went on to be a, a critical part of uh Mercedes success in the beginning of Lewis Hamilton's championship mm-hmm. streak and uh you know and then just departed to oh i don't know just become the you know president of the whole sport yeah um yeah literally fascinating guy one of the smartest people on the planet truly oh god i love watching his interviews they're so dry yeah but like he is just so terrifying so calculated yeah it's wild oh um i I, uh I, I briefly met him 
and uh, I was astounded that he was he was so he was so much more human than I thought he would that yeah. I thought he would be. I found him to be a uh, super uh, gracious, uh, you know, uh, uh, guy to to talk to. I'll, I'll I'll dive into that maybe in a in a future episode. But uh, check out there's a I think it's a 2019 episode of the the beyond the grid the official f1 podcast where mm-hmm. they do a, a full episode with him with him and yeah. It's, yeah it's amazing it's it's just terrific uh to hear him go in depth on on I'm all like, of it and hear on the you new know, cars and just how like how much attention they paid to making this like this season is not an accident uh this the the fact that like for the first time in the history of maybe the history of this sport uh, with this many rule changes, there's competitive racing, not only like within the first couple of seasons, not even within the first season, but within the first few races of the first season. And now halfway through the season, there are now three teams that are potentially going to be competing for pole position. When we come back from summer break, like that is that's Russ. That's that's Braun. That's all him and his team that he assembled in order to make F one more competitive and more enjoyable. And then after last year, everyone was freaking out. They were like, "Why are you changing the formula? It is finally good. Things are finally at like the you know Red Bull is right there, Ferrari's right there, Mercedes is right mm-hmm. there. If you change it, it's going to be so devastating. It's going to ruin everything." And now this year, we're like, "Hey, Russ, thank you, thank you for changing everything." Uh, we did not know what we were talking about. I'm one of those people who was like, oh, I don't love, I don't love that they're changing it. It finally got good. We finally have like real competition in this sport after decades of it just being dominated by one team and then handed off to another team, uh, for another few years domination. Like that's literally our fandom, John. That's us. We grew up watching Ferrari. And then the uh, McLaren for you know, a little bit, uh, and, and then uh, Red Bull, and then Mercedes, and mm-hmm. that like that has been what we've watched. We haven't been able to see real competition happen, race after race after race, and we've gotten it quite literally in every single race this season so far. Like I can't tell you with any certainty who is going to even like make the top ten. I literally don't like, yeah. and not just like the top 10, but what the running order is like Alonzo might end up fourth on the grid. He, he has ended up fourth on the grid. He's ended up higher on the grid. Uh, he just couldn't start the sprint race. Like just, just the wildest. Shit. Also Fernando Alonzo. We're talking about Fernando Alonzo and a rebuilt Renault team potentially competing for race wins again. What? Mm-hmm. The, 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 yep. And that's not even one of the top three teams. Come on, dude. This shout out to Russ Braun. I mean, sorry for ever doubting. <laughs> sorry for ever doubting you, dude. Uh, we should all apologize to him as fans and people who pay attention to this sport. Because I, I did not hear a single person go to bat for him to be like, hey, he knows what he's doing. And people yep. were saying that. They were like, he knows what he's doing, but I don't know. There was always that, uh, and now that we were idiots we never should have doubted him we never should have um yep also there was one thing just to go back to the drive to survive thing uh the, that article i had forgotten that the person who produced this is the person who yes produced the senadoc and mm-hmm. that is truly 
you and I got to watch it screened. We got to be in that room and experience the the magic of a theatrical release of a documentary that was really impactful to everyone in that room. And then afterwards, years later, like I've now watched so many documentaries and that is always the golden standard is like looking at the Senna doc and it, yep. As, as an F1 fan, I've been like, mm, I'm biased. I'm very biased. And I, it's, uh, and here, like they said it in this article, like they were like, Oh no, no, no. That is the golden standard. If you're a documentary filmmaker specifically for sports, but documentary films in general, that's the Senna doc by Reese gate was the, or, uh, gate was, was it, uh, yeah. Uh, gay Reese, uh, James gay Reese is the guy's name, but he, holy shit. Uh, that is the standard. Well, one one of the key attributes that they call out also, which is you know uh, very distinct in the Senate doc, and is also something that propels the Drive to Survive documentary, is that you don't have Morgan Freeman a, a delivering voiceover mm-hmm. through every episode, explaining everything that's happening. You're just hearing it from yeah. all the individuals in the mix in the moment. Yes. And there's no like, there's no God's voice to tell you who's right or who's wrong or who's bending the story or, you know, tailoring it one way or another. You have to put that together yourself. Yeah. And I think that's super compelling, super fascinating. And, and it pulls you a lot deeper into, into the story to, to have something that, yes, there's, there's a lot to be said about the way the, the plots are tweaked or adjusted or, you know, uh, yeah, borderline yeah. manipulated. But, but I think it's, you know, it, it's still something that asks you, the viewer to kind of come in and, and wrap your head around it and make your own conclusions. Well, I mean, it doesn't not just asks, but demands, like you cannot sit back and expect that documentary to tell you who you're supposed to root for. Like you can't, it, there's no way. Uh, you quite literally have to look at it and actively engage and be like, well, I am more interested in this story than this story. I am more interested in this driver and this driver's like support structure that got them to this point. Uh, like I am more interested in them. Like that is, it's so fascinating. Um, and it, mm-hmm. the, it, that is a result of the voice of God does not exist in this. Uh, they did throw out a statistic, which, I did not know it was this big, but they said one quarter of the commentary in the in Drive to Survive. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Are these the, the, fake ass commentators? Yeah, this this is a common thing that I've actually recently discovered as part of like every sports documentary. I feel is so they betrayed, bring in but also so stupid that uh, I should have known. They bring in all the commentators, you know, who are normally doing the calling the plays during the actual event, and they have them, you know, redoing it in a sound booth, you know, to just you know up the drama, or maybe they weren't even paying attention to a particular battle that was happening on a different part of the track yeah. or, or whatnot. And it just gives them that, that, that opportunity to kind of like package it just a little bit, a little bit nicer. I mean, you know, to me, it's, it's a pretty minor crime in terms of it bending is. the, the reality around these things. And like, you know, for me at the end of the day, all of this is a entertainment product. Like I'm not here to litigate the, you know, the, no. the how, no 
sound this stuff is. And I do appreciate, you know, a little bit of drama, even if it is slightly manufactured unless yeah. by Michael Massey, yeah. you know, um, it's, uh, <laughs> was, there was also that little snippet in there too, where it was like, Oh yeah. By the way, the uh, findings were that the world driver championship of 2021 is the result of human error. Yeah. I mean, yep. you can't, you, you can't put a more fine point on it than an official statement. Like you can't. So uh, we'll just leave that there. N- no, everyone is worthy of whatever they have. But hey, if it was a result of human error and that human was not behind the wheel of a car uh, or on a pit wall with a radio communicating with a driver, that feels significant to me. Uh, so that was this is so that was the first time I've heard any media actually talk about that report, talk about the findings in that report. I mean, I read that report and I knew that that was what the result was, but it was I've n- I've never heard anyone say that. And I listen to all the podcasts and I listen. I have quite literally the BBC News is what I usually listen to. And they usually have updates on this kind of stuff, including when there were updates on the Abu Dhabi results. They did have they talked about it on the world news. So it's not that I'm not paying attention. Uh, it's that I'm paying attention. And this is the first time I've heard anyone say anything about it. And it is uh, in a, a, a weird uh, piece in the New York times that's talking about a reality show that like offhandedly re- references. Oh yeah. By the way, that was the, the result uh, was an error, but isn't it fun to watch? And it's like, wait, wait, Hey, wait, 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 <laughs> um, so yeah. I said I, that was all I was going to say about it, and then I talked about it for another extra couple minutes. But here we are. Um, it's all it's all good. Yeah, check check out the New York Times piece. I'm I'm going to say it's it's an all right article. I think it's for me. It's just fascinating to see a major outlet putting a lens on this stuff, and yeah. uh, you know, just to try and get a little bit of a taste of like, all right, what is someone who and it, and it does read as though uh, the author is a complete outsider yes. to the sport. But is like you know actively trying to learn as much about what is going on with this, Here's the this thing, new though, phenomena. It's like it, he's an outsider, but I think it's really helpful to have an outsider kind of giving their perspective to a bunch of other people who also may be outsiders or feel like outsiders who are like, wait, I don't know what's going on here. What's the big deal? So to lay it all out, like, okay, we were in a pandemic. There were no other professional sports that were available for anyone. The Drive to Survive documentary dropped two and a half weeks before the world went into lockdown, before we were all shut in watching a streaming service called Netflix. Like it, we were all primed for this in a way that it could not, you, they couldn't have manufactured this. Uh, the fact that the people who run Liberty media, uh, were reality TV show adjacent people and, uh, TV executives who were tapped into the American market through ESPN. Like they knew there were just so many pieces that lined up so perfectly. So they've also mentioned in this article that like Netflix is right now got a traffic jam of like 
drive to survive wannabes for mm -hmm. tennis and for golf and yeah. for hockey and for basically, you know, every other sport is looking at this and saying like, oh, this is, you know, this is how you get. This is how you do it. This is yep. how you get the eyeballs. Yeah. yeah. Which, uh, uh, unfortunately for, I mean, I, I, I love to do voiceover work when someone will hire me. So as someone who is like, hey, wait, are they like taking an option off the table for me? Uh, yeah, sure. Take that option off the table for me. I'd rather not be the voice of God or hear the voice of God talking about anything in a documentary, especially if it's sports related. Let us make our own decisions. Uh, so I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, but it is well. You do you do still always need the the Will Buxton sitting in the in the seat. This is very you know, true. Explaining to people like you know uh, that water is wet and the sky is blue and and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. So there there will always be an option uh, or an opportunity out there for me to not get, but to try for. Uh, what else did you? Is there anything else from this past week that? really stuck out to you from uh from the news nothing else that that caught me any anything for you or should we just look ahead to uh to to paul ricard uh i think we can look ahead to paul ricard just one, one last thing was brought up uh hamilton's car was destroyed after that qualifying crash uh, to the point of like they made jokes and toto was quoted he's like it looked like a bunch of legos were on the garage floor uh and it has come out since then, um, Mike Shovlin, I think, is their technical director's name. He did an interview and he was like, "Oh yeah, we weren't sure if we weren't sure if we were going to have enough parts for Lewis to race on Sunday. Like that's how that's how like skin Jeez. of their teeth they were. So if he had gotten into an accident during that sprint race, they wouldn't have been able to be in the Grand Prix. Like they were like, no, we quite literally did not have the parts available." to put on the car and they couldn't have gotten there in time. So thankfully everything worked out. Uh, and then also he was like, Oh yeah. So we rebuilt the entire car in three hours. Mercedes rebuilt Lewis Hamilton's car, including like the survival cell, the tub, the, the thing that he was sitting in, the thing that's supposed to like never be damaged, uh, that they only bring one extra to every single weekend. Cause they're like, well, I mean, this is the thing that's never going to get damaged. Cause it just doesn't get damaged. That thing was damaged and they had to swap out every component around the survival cell, which literally means they had to put everything back onto the car after taking out the core of the vehicle. And they did that shit in three hours. I, I, I mean, like three weekends ago, I had to reset the radio code on a on a 2003 Acura, and it took me about 90 minutes to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, like it what? Un, un, unclipping seven pieces of interior trim and finding screws that yeah. were in places that I didn't expect them to be. That took and and then put it back. To, together yeah it took me 90 minutes yeah uh yeah just truly bananas this this sport continues even in like the most simple uh and tiny seemingly insignificant ways this sport blows my mind and is constantly just like wait you did how how did you do that um yeah but looking forward paul ricard what are your thoughts what are your hopes what are your prayers johnny um 
I want to, you know, right now, I think a lot of my attention is turned to both Carlos Sainz and Sergio Perez mm-hmm. as the the two hungriest drivers yeah. in the mix right now. Yep. Um, but I think I think we're also it's inevitable that we're going to see Max and Charles get a little more heated than it's been. Yeah, this is so this is what happened last year when we went to basically it was the the races weren't in the same order but basically 10 races in everyone was like oh yeah lewis and uh max like they seem like they're being pretty respectful uh, <laughs> that did not last uh and uh, even though people are like yeah i think charles and and max have a different relationship than lewis and max did yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, you know, Max, this was that was Max's first world driver's championship. He had a lot on the line, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He wants to win another championship. He's not just going to be like, you know what? You take this one, Charles. That's not mm-hmm. I, in no way is that who Max Verstappen is. <laughs> so, like, uh, it's wild that yep. people think that they're going to continue to be as respectful. Uh, I if they are, that is a miracle. If they do not come into contact with each other, it's a miracle. But they will. I mean, they will. They they have to. It just doesn't. It, it, I can't imagine that they wouldn't. Uh, they're going to be fighting for the same spot on track. And Charles, like uh, in, in Austria, had this like unbridled confidence. And like he, when his car is in shape, he's not going to give Max any any room on that track especially at this point because he's seen how max will drive and he knows that max will drive him off the track he knows if if it i mean he this was this past race in austria was the first time that Charles actually passed him in earnest on track like uh since australia i think so this is yeah. the first time that they actually were and Max did not have a superior car. Max had an inferior car and knew that he had an inferior car, so he didn't fight as hard. Yeah. When Max has a car that can fight against Charles, he's not going to behave that way and we're going to see them come together. So, yeah, maybe that'll happen in France. And then we'll see Carlito and Checo rise to the occasion. Maybe and and we'll see uh i think i think it's also going to start to become uh mick versus his own teammate yeah seeing so seeing mick schumacher and kevin magnuson um kind of duke it out because i think k mag came in at the last second to fill the seat at haas was a um you know a, a blessing to the team to to come back yeah and he's been doing great for them but the last two races all eyes have been on mick and i think that's going to start to kind of burn him a little bit and we might we might see uh basically i would just say like gunther steiner's stomach acid is going to go to some pretty wild places for the rest of the season yeah, uh, and, I'm, and I'm here for it. Yeah, Everybody's me too. Here for it. Yeah, Every, yeah. Uh, if you're recent, if you are a recent fan to this sport, then you are like, oh wow, Kevin Magnuson seems like such like he seems like such a nice, likable guy. He's not. I promise you, that guy is not mm-hmm. a nice, likable guy. He is. Uh, I mean, yes, he is nice and likable, but he has a mean. He's streak. he's got an edge. He yeah. has an edge, and it is vicious. So just go back and look at his interactions with Miko. 
uh, uh, Hulkenberg. Um, uh, well, probably what, like four years ago now? Um, yeah, go back and look at their interactions and uh, on track and off track, and you'll uh, you'll get a taste of who Ke- Kevin Magnuson really is, especially when someone is breathing down his neck uh, in an F1 car, let alone his own teammate. Oh, oh yep. boy. Um, yeah. And then also him and Roman got into it pretty bad when they were teammates. So literally, uh, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. we're going to see some spice from the Haas. Uh, I do think that we're going to get Fernando and Esteban are going to show up because this is, this is Alpine's home race. They seem to be pretty dialed in with their upgrades they test on that track they develop the car for that track it's their home race Mm -hmm. they have all french everything i think that they are going to probably be uh vying both of them esteban and fernando i think are both going to be vying for top five slots on uh uh when the race is done um i think they're going to crush qualify i think like they're going to show up maybe second or third row in qualifying and then maybe even we might even see Fernando on the podium because that dude is hungry for a win right now and hungry to prove himself. Uh, yeah. Um, also Merck. Hey, let's talk about it. Mercedes looks pretty dialed in. George recently was like, Hey, I think I'm starting to sense like the Lewis of old from the other side of the garage. Uh, and if that is what George is starting to sniff, then that is exactly what's happening. And I think that Lewis is going to show up on a track with no bumps and upgrades that work, and he's going to smoke some fools. And uh, that's going to really that's going to be a cat amongst the pigeons. Uh, the pigeons being the Ferrari and the Red Bull. Uh, they're they're the mm-hmm. pigeons. Um, yeah, I- I'm looking forward to it though. <sighs> who else? Who 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 do you think might might throw? What do you think about McLaren? I mean, we haven't talked about Ricardo at all, and Ricardo has kind of been one of the biggest stories of the week, right? Yeah, I'm. I mean, story. I, mean, not I think story. like, yeah, I mean, like everybody else, I'm worried about Danny Rick's future in Formula One. Yeah, um, he's just been having a real tough uh, past eighteen months or so. I yeah. would say in yeah. the in the sport. And it doesn't look like it's getting any better. And I just feel like with all that attention on that, that makes it almost insurmountable to get through yeah. and break through. Yeah. Um, my my buddy uh, uh, James was positing that we'll see him get, you know, shuffled to a McLaren team in a completely different sport, you know. I think he'll end up in an arrow like that yeah. happen. I think, yeah, I think um, he'll end up in uh, in McLaren's arrow uh, team uh, in Indy, um, especially with uh, Colton uh, Herta and uh, and Patty Award, who are both in the McLaren driver program. They're both in the Indy car. Like they both want to see. And Col- Colton did his f- Colton did his first ever test drive in the car this yeah. past week, and I think that was just you know publicly everybody was just like oh there we go that's the guy who's gonna take his seat there yep. it is they're warming him up here we go yep and um, he's a generational I don't, I don't, talent as well too because his father was yeah. an f1 so uh he's a spanish i don't i don't american, know that that's spanish or american he's one of the two but it, yeah it's like there's a there's a there's a lot on mclaren's plate right now uh 
Yeah. 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 So, but they seem to be managing it relatively well. And you know who's really managing it well? That's my boy Lando Norris. That dude is just just rising above it. Like it's like he's just yeah. Like literally, like eh, there's just a bunch of shit swirling around him, and he's like, I don't know, I'll just I'll get above it. I just won't be in that. Yeah. Um, no, that's a good that's a good place to be. I mean, even yeah. if he even if he was to befit at some point, yeah, uh, I don't think it'll it's not going to be anywhere near the attention that. Daniel Ricardo and all the other McLaren pseudo drama that's yeah. going on at the moment has been getting. So that's a, well, that's a real good place to be. And let's, and this is like the dirty thing that no one really talked about like openly, but the only win that McLaren has is a Danny Ricardo win. And the only one two that McLaren has had was that race where Lando Norris was right behind him and was told mm-hmm. by McLaren, no, this is Danny's race. So th- I'm not yep. saying that Ricardo would have lost that race to his teammate, but if they had let Lando battle against Ricardo at the end of that race, Ricardo was on worse tires. Lando was on fresher tires. He had better pe- like, I mean, <sighs> It, yeah. So do you, do you think we're going to see a Lando a Lando win this season? I think so. Yeah, I think if 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 McLaren can get their shit together, if they can if they can bring some upgrades and really show some actual real pace that can break them out of the midfield, then I think that Lando will capitalize on one of those melees that happens uh, in like later in the season when people get all tangled up or mm-hmm. someone gets a grid penalty and he gets shuffled up. Uh, uh, I think we'll see him on the podium for sure again. When a, when a Ferrari takes out another Ferrari, a Red Bull takes out another Red Bull, and a Mercedes takes out another Red Bull, uh, or yeah. Mercedes. A Mercedes, we yeah. Well, I mean, that's also Mercedes' uh, default is taking out a Red Bull. So um, That's true. That is true. Like, if given the choice between taking out your own teammate and taking out a Red Bull, it's not even a question. Uh, they, are, they are absolutely mm-hmm. going for a Red Bull. Um, and that's just good racing, but also... Mercedes likes to take out Red Bull. Uh, I can admit that as a fan. It's just, it just happens. All right. Well, I'm excited for the race. We are now, it's the race week has begun by the time folks are going to be listening to this. So we're back in it. I'm excited mm-hmm. to to see the French Grand Prix. I'm excited to see, I'm sorry, French people, but I'm very excited to see your goofy, goofy ass national anthem performed by a live band uh, before this race. I mean, I, there are few things I enjoy more than watching live band national anthems. And one that I laugh at and maybe uh, 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 laughing at and not laughing with uh, is laughing at the people playing the French national anthem. I, lo- I love French people. I love you. Uh, I love your country. I love your food. I love your culture. I love the outer parts of your country and not just Paris. Like, I love you. But oh my God, is your national anthem hilarious when it's played live uh, so is ours though like everyone's is uh but yours is a special kind of funny yours in belgium that's a, that's amazing yeah. i'm uh, i'm now i'm i'm significantly more looking forward to that oh yeah yeah than i was an hour ago oh get ready, um, for, it. Get ready for it all right well johnny s- what are your thoughts here did the stock go up this week yeah, I think the stock went up if only because 
if you aren't watching Netflix, if you don't ever put on ESPN, if you are cut off from all the other, you know, ways that Formula One could have gotten to you, I think the New York Times has a pretty yeah. big reach. And for them to put out, you know, the the article, if you read the article online, they even have turned it into a like podcast, like a, yeah. a like a recorded version of the article and it's 30 minutes long that's how long this article is that's a significant amount of new york times inc Mm -hmm. being dedicated to uh to this so i think that's that's not worth not worth nothing that's for sure i agree so i i also agree stock has gone up specifically because of that and also because of the mclaren uh kind of strife and issues because for the first time in many, many years, there is a chance that there will be someone flying the American flag on the grid. There is a chance that Colton Herta will end up as an F1 driver for McLaren. And we've got Zach Brown, who is an American businessman, loves mm-hmm. entertainment, loves to put people in cars that like America loves to see. And there's a good chance that if Ricardo dips, that we're going to see that. And, uh, and that that can only benefit us because we'll then have Americans want to cheer on their own. That's like our thing. We're really, really good at <laughs> cheering for ourselves. So if we can get one of our own flying the flag on the grid, uh, listening to our goofy ass national anthem <laughs> uh, played, then yes, let's do it. Uh, so yeah, I think think the stock went up. All right, Johnny, where can the folks uh, find you online? Uh, you can hit me up anytime on Twitter. My handle is Johnny Motion, and I'm uh, I'm there blabbering about all sorts of uh, silly stuff in the world of uh, creativity, digital products, uh, technology in the automobile space and and whatnot. Uh, Also, check out uh, Ver Wondering, which is the number one uh, Dutch design podcast, uh, which I was I was a guest on uh, when I was when I was out in the Netherlands a few weeks back, uh, recorded a great, great episode. with with the folks over there it's terrific podcast had a great time geeking out on all things design uh uh you know future technologies and even got uh geeking out on some some fun automotive stuff as as well well while we're up to it so you can find that on on your favorite uh podcatcher and actually check it out uh if you have a chance via the the very wondering uh website itself because they do a great thing where uh every episode has like a mile long page that has all the references and links to any of the things that we get into and touch on and whatnot so it's great uh real real slick operation that harold over there is uh is putting together uh it was was great great chatting with him for for an hour or so Corey, where can uh where can the folks find you uh this this week uh, they can uh, catch me down uh, in person down at San Diego Comic-Con. I will be down there uh, doing some stuff. Sweet. Uh, again, I'll say it again. If you see me and I look like I'm working or performing, um, please do not approach me and start talking to me about real stuff because uh, I'll have to stay in character. Uh, uh, but if you see me out at a bar afterwards uh, um uh in the evening or out on the I floor am, i am i am <laughs> buying a plane ticket to san diego right now uh, yeah. 
Yeah, um, <laughs> folks, they they uh, just I, I can't I can't say it because I literally am under an NDA, uh, but I can say that my personal protective gear involves a clear mask a clear way so you can see my face and my mouth and stuff uh while i'm still uh safe uh so yeah that's something to look forward to so it's not like oh is that Corey? that might be court you'll be able to tell it's me because i'll be wearing one of those clear goofy masks and you'll be able to see my goofy face underneath it um but yeah uh, other than that you can catch me online uh at burn cory burn uh i'm on all those social media things including tiktok where I am trying to post every dang day. And wow. that's what the algorithm likes. So yeah, you're getting if you if you haven't gotten enough of me, that's another place you can get more. And it's very dumb stuff. Very simple dumb stuff. You can imagine I love I love your I love your 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 TikTok uh, your, your 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 TikToks are always uh, cracking me up uh, and and I like uh, a few of the themes that I'm starting to pick up that are that are linking them all together for me. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm developing my voice on that platform. Uh, it's mostly me being an idiot about stuff and reacting to stuff. But hey. You can just follow me there and know this. Again, burn Corey Burn on all the social media stuff. Folks, we will catch up with you next week at the French Grand Prix. Uh, I don't know why I said it that way. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see you at the French Grand Prix uh, next week. There we go. There it is. All right, folks. Have a wonderful with, week. With we'll Chuck Leclerc. <laughs> Charles Chucky Leclerc. Uh, all right, folks. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time on the F1 Files. Chucky LeClaire, Jesus Christ. (laughs) 